0: Imponent, surpassed, penetrating, and
1: perfect Dharma is rarely met
0: with, even in a hundred thousand million Calpas.
1: I need to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I am proud to taste the truth of the...
0: That uh, Tiger Leighton sent around just a, a couple of lines that he used in a talk uh, from the the Ehe Koroku Dogen's extensive record, so the record of his his brief Dharma talks, and uh, this is an excerpt of of an excerpt. Is to say the family style of all Buddhas and ancestors is first to arouse the vow to save all living beings by removing suffering and providing joy. Save them by removing suffering and providing joy. So I think that Those efforts are based on the activity of faith
2: and a kind of hope.
0: Maybe not the usual kind uh, that we kind of identify with with optimism. There's some uh, reflection on this by the uh, Czech statesman uh, and uh, playwright Václav Havel who says hope is definitely not the same thing as optimism. It is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. So
2: in a broad sense, that's the subject for my talk
0: this morning. I don't know about you all, but this has been a really hard couple of weeks. You know, in the midst of all the trouble on the world, which is always going on. Uh, We seem to be living through a particular node of suffering. So I don't have to detail the numerous mass shootings, uh, a Supreme Court ruling that once more allows the government to dictate the reproductive rights of women. Uh, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, which is, uh, where my grandparents came from, this ongoing civil war in Burma and many wars and conflicts around the world. And with that, we're also experiencing another spike of COVID. Uh, and this one seems to be striking for some reason, closer to home, it may be that it's a more infectious, uh, maybe slightly less dangerous uh, variant, but but very infectious. So the people in the Sangha have have come down with it. Uh, We found out yesterday that my sister in LA got it and she got it at the the wedding reception for her son which lori and i were going to go to and we basically just decided not to a few days before i'm glad we didn't go you know uh so uh and of course beneath or above all these sorrows is the worsening climate emergency Uh, which ultimately threatens life
2: on land and sea. And
0: uh, these are the times that we live in. Brings to mind the, uh, actually the apocryphal Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. Well, these are very interesting times. Less, you know. And these are the conditions of the Saha world. We've been talking about the Saha world off and on in the context of Lotus Sutra, which we've been studying during practice period. Saha translates the Saha world is the is the world where Shakyamuni Buddha shows up and where according to the Lotus Sutra, he abides. Uh, and it's the world where waking up is contingent
2: upon endurance.
0: It's contingent upon uh, the circumstances of suffering. <laughs> suffering is the, the about the essential ingredient to our, Waking up, at least in, in this world, uh, we don't want it, but we got it. Last night, uh, Maria Hopper gave an excellent uh, talk, basically Mind talk, and uh, borrow a quotation that she read at at the end uh, from Tip Nahan where he says, without suffering, you cannot grow. Without suffering, you cannot get peace. You cannot get the peace and joy you deserve. Please don't run away from your suffering. Embrace it and cherish it. Go to the Buddha, sit with him and show him your pain.
2: He will show you ways
0: that you can embrace your suffering and look deeply into it. With understanding and compassion, you'll be able to heal the wounds in your heart and the wounds in the world. So these are are very hopeful admonitions. Yeah. And in the Lotus Sutra, uh, in the chapter 16 that we studied um, last week, this was on Thursday, uh, in, I'm sorry, in chapter, uh, chapter 14, uh, which is entitled Ease in Practice, uh, it talks about how you practice in the troubled world. Uh, and the Buddha tells Manjushri that these practices consist of bodily actions, speech, thoughts, and vows. Uh, in China, these would be called the four practices of ease and bliss, uh, which I think it's perhaps where resonates with uh, or echoes uh, Dogen's explanation uh, in Fukan Zazengi, the Zazen instruction, where he says, The Zazen I speak of is not learning meditation, it's simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. These are the same things. This repose and bliss, which means a kind of tranquil stability in the midst of all of your activity. So in, in the Lotus Sutra, what, what these practices are, uh, they're characterized as uh, practice without characteristics
2: which means uh it's a kind
0: of meditation in action uh, that's not defined by a specific posture or specific activity or rituals but uh, is the way one can be tranquil and stable and upright in the course of whatever one is doing through the day. Uh, When I came to uh, Buddhist Peace Fellowship in 1991, there was a lot of talk about uh, meditation and action, uh, about actually uh, that, our meditation in engaged Buddhism was our activity. And that was, you know, that was very, it's kind of entrancing. It was, uh, but I came to feel it was really incomplete. Uh, because it was in a sense, discounting meditation in stillness it was discounting you know our zazen practice and you know what i came to feel from from watching activities and from listening to people and and seeing what was unfolding is that meditation in action only works when you've really when you are continuously cultivating this kind of steadiness, this stillness, this is what we're doing here, I think, uh, that we cultivate a quiet, respectful, uh, mindful composure in our sitting and in our activities in, inside this room. In this big basketball court. (laughs) Uh, And then we take it, we take this stable mind into the world. So uh, I think that uh, the way to embrace, I mean, the practice that we do. and we're coming into Sachin. In sechin we encounter suffering in a variety of ways. We can encounter it by uh, painful legs uh, or other parts of our body, uh, in the obsessive loop of certain kinds of thinking, of uh, the
2: doubts about uh, why am I here, can I do this? This is all
0: part of the package of sashim. And I think often when we persist, particularly through a multi-day sashim, you come to another place. You do come to a place of stability, and joy, and
2: appreciation. And
0: I think that's where, that's where my hope abides. That's where my faith abides. So, oh gosh. Um, you know, a couple uh, last year, I gave a class on the three doors of liberation. where we talked about hopelessness as the third door of aimlessness, wishlessness, hopelessness as, uh, the third door of liberation. That's true. And that's important. And that's one side. So that that hopelessness or wishlessness is, uh, the Sanskrit word is, uh, a pranihita. And that means literally not to put something in front of yourself as an object of pursuit. Uh, it's a way of pointing you to the fact that, um, what you're looking for is actually right in front of you. It's actually within you. Uh, Everything that you're looking for is right here and now, even if it doesn't seem so. And this is something that the Lotus Sutra also speaks of in in a section that, uh, in a verse section, we didn't look at on Thursday. Also. I think it's from chapter 16, actually. Uh, So it begins with a description of the way the world usually appears to us and then how it appears to the Buddha, the same world right here. So the verse is, when beings see the eon ending, and ravaged by great fire. My land is peaceful and secure, always filled with gods and humans. Uh, The gods play celestial drums and Mandarava flowers are scattered on the Buddha and the great assembly. My pure land is not destroyed, but the multitudes see it burned entirely worried, terrified, and miserable. So these are, these are kind of the, the different word, ways we can see our world. And so return to this idea of hope. I grant that hopelessness is, is a practice. Uh, hopelessness in in the, uh, I think in the sense that, that Vaclav Havel was saying, not as optimism, but actually as uh, doing what seems appropriate, doing what seems right and seeing how it turns out. And this is sort of a common perspective of many of the, uh, the radical social thinkers that I attend to inside Buddhism and and uh, in the wider world. Uh, yesterday in the mail, I got a I had ordered a book, and it arrived. And this is kind of why I'm giving this talk. It, uh, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet. Uh I'm really good at reading titles and, and so some of the blurbs on the back, you know, and the introduction. But the book is called Radical Hope, Ethics in the Face of Cultural Devastation by a guy named Jonathan Lear. Uh and uh it begins with a a reflection uh from uh history of uh Native Americans, uh, from the the destruction of the, of the Crow people uh, in the West. Uh, And I think I'll say more about this in in future talks. But shortly before he died, Plenty Koo, the last great chief of the Crow Nation, told his story up to a certain point. When the Buffalo went away, the hearts of my people fell to the ground and they could not lift them up again. After this,
2: nothing happened. Uh,
0: He writes, well, he said, this is the point facing the end of one's way of life that brings us in
2: confrontation with what is
0: hope for us. Uh, The vulnerability of our life affects us all. Uh, And we are all enmeshed in a so-called civilization that is not looking so promising right now. So how do we live with that vulnerability? Uh, evidently, Plenty uh met it by dreaming. And in that dream, he had a vision.
2: And, uh,
0: that vision was not attached to following uh to resisting the seemingly inevitable forces of change or to following exactly the traditional ways so this is in line with with other other people and and with what what i've been thinking so um Roshi Joan Halifax uh, asked this question in in a talk she gave. She says, what does it mean to hope in our fragile and fraught world? And she comes to the proposition of what she calls wise hope. If wise hope is sourced in the heart of imagination and surprise. Despair and futility are not viable options in our world today. Well, they're not viable options, but sometimes they're inevitable and we have to live with them. They're part of what we have to endure. But she says, wise hope means that we open ourselves to what we do not know. So this is not knowing, the the first of of the three tenets that Bernie Glassman taught, not knowing, bearing witness, an appropriate response. We open ourselves to not knowing and act from a place of astonishment. Uh, Roshi Joan Haltek says, I believe that wise hope appears through our courage to be in the field of radical uncertainty and in the space of adaptivity to things as they are. Uh, It's when we look deeply and courageously that we realize that we don't know what will happen next. This This is when wise hope comes alone in this groundless landscape between improbability and possibility, in this groundless landscape of imagination. And from this groundlessness, the imperative to act rises up. Some years ago, I was I was searching my own writing and reflection, uh, and I I found a piece. I, I did a sort of a dialogue with Rebecca Solnit uh, at Upaya. I don't know, five years ago or so. Uh, and we were kind of taking the, the the different positions. She, she Rebecca, was advocating for hope, and I was advocating for hopelessness. Uh, and actually, you can find the 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 whole thing is on is video. It's on YouTube. Uh, it was very interesting, and she's great. I have incredible respect for her, uh, and I think that in in the time that's passed, I've Sort of come more to uh, i've i've come to embrace her position. it's not that I was rejecting it. I think we were just we were just looking at two sides of the coin, but uh, i've moved more in that direction uh, in her direction than uh, kind of hunkering down in hopelessness so in a transcription. Uh I talked about uh you know Sojin Roshi always used to talk about the our zazen sort of like being it's like like being a flaw a frog sitting on a rock by a
2: pond and just sitting there with
0: open eyes, which we have in zazen and you know like fly comes by and a zoop! He flicks out his tongue and has lunch. So, whatever it was, your view has to be quite wide to see a fly coming from an unexpected direction. Your mind has to be open and receptive. <laughs> that's, that's the mind that we cultivate in Zazen. And I think we really have, it really helps us to cultivate it in zazen if we're to take it out into the world. And we need that now. So I was uh, on the hopelessness side, it's interesting. Uh, What I read was this afternoon driving up to Upaya with some friends, uh, we stopped at a house in uh, Bernalillo and we had bought burritos, which we consumed with great gusto. And uh, this group of people were, who I didn't know really, were asking what I was gonna talk about. I mentioned hope and hopelessness. One older gentleman pulled out a wrinkled slip of paper that he carried around in his wallet. It had a quotation on it from Father Oscar Romero, who was the late Catholic Archbishop of San Salvador. Uh, He was a fierce uh, advocate for his people, for liberation. And in March of 1980, uh, he was assassinated by government agents while he was conducting mass uh, at church. And several days later, when as many as 250,000 mourners gathered, his funeral itself was attacked by government death squads and they killed as many as 50 people. So Romero had written, this is what he had on this slip of paper. If you need to feel hope, you're courting despair. And if you court despair, you'll stop working. So try to wean yourself from this need to have hope. Try to have faith, instead, to do what you can, and stop worrying about whether or not you are effective. Worry about what is possible to do, which is always greater than you can imagine.
2: eating lunch we
0: talked about this people asked well faith in what i said i think of faith as a verb i think of faith as an activity not as an abstract spiritual quality maybe maybe quote, having faith means uh to cultivate or vow in Buddhist terms, the vow is something much greater than I can imagine. It's often greater than what I can accomplish. Think about the Bodhisattva's vow, which will chant at the end of the lecture. Uh, that first vow, sentient beings are numberless, I vow to save them, is completely impossible. Uh, I don't think I can encompass that vow, but I carry it with me. It leads me, uh, it sets an intention to keep working, to keep doing what I can. Uh, And even if my vow is vast and seemingly impossible, it's a deeply hopeful principle. So it comes to the place where hopelessness and hopefulness merge into one thing for me. And they arise in practice. Um, I think Rebecca, Rebecca had been speaking about hope in the dark. And uh, Roshi Joan Halifax talks about fruitful darkness. So right in that darkness is where vow arises. And I think this is, this is what we're talking about uh, when we practice in these times. This is what Thich Nhat Hanh is talking about when he uh, encourages us to embrace our suffering. And this is what we learn to do as we sit and practice. As we sit zazan, we encounter ourselves intimately. And sometimes there's light and joy, which is great. And sometimes it's hard, which is also in its own way, great, because it builds our ability to, it builds our capacity to expand and include everything. And also, uh, it encourages us to identify with the suffering that others experience, and not to keep ourselves separate not to think of anything as any activity as pure, but to recognize that that suffering is out there, but so is joy. And a return to you know the that encouragement from, from Dogen, uh where he speaks of um The bodhisattva's vow to uh, to end suffering and to generate joy and i believe that the joy that i've experienced in this practice is uh transformative i think that all of us experience this in one in ways not, maybe not not all the time and not in ways necessarily that we can hold on to but it it shifts, it shifts us this is the faith that I have. You know, I don't know where this faith comes from. Uh, you know, it. When I came to the practice, I just felt this is what I need to be doing. Uh, and I couldn't exactly tell you why. And it, it wasn't fun. You know, it was hard. Uh, and. I let some kind of faith carry me on and partly I think that that faith was uh, was really deepened by looking at the people around me in the Zendo. Uh, Looking at people who've been practicing for already for quite a while, Uh, looking at Sojin, looking at And others, just how they seem to move and interact with each other. And I felt like the faith was, yeah, I'd like to be like that. And the faith was that somehow this practice is what would lead me into that territory. I do think also that want to underscore the capacity to the receptivity that we have, which is part of the, uh, another way of, of speaking of including everything, but just being receptive to whatever arises. And that includes the act of imagination, that includes our dreams, uh, because we're not really going to think our way out of the crisis that we're in. I don't know what will happen. And some of us are of an age where we probably won't see a whole lot of, we won't see a lot of years uh, and we can't see into the distant future. But I think that these dreams and visions and imagination is what we have to actually really value. And even if we see, as Plenty ku did see the old ways disappearing, uh, the incredible creative, creative capacity of each of us allows for new visions and new ways to arise that that can at least sustain what's important. And what's important is not necessarily our immediate ways of doing things or running our world, uh, but what's important is also just how we carry ourselves from moment to moment, how we relate to, to each other. And that is deeply precious. And I do have faith that the practice leads us in that direction. So I'm going to stop there. And you may have questions or thoughts and I'll look in the room and also I can, if you raise your hand digitally, that would be Helpful um, and I can call on people in that in that digital space. Uh, Let me get the participants up. Any questions on Lori? Um,
2: I was reminded of this little known quote from Dr. King. Even if I knew that tomorrow, the world would be destroyed, I would still plant my apple tree. <laughs> Could we see what we're doing here more imaginatively as something like planting trees? And even if we got the message that nuclear wars you know, started, we would just continue to come here and- plant these trees with no sense of the outcome, I
0: do know. Could, could you hear that at all online? <laughs> yes? Oh, good. Um, Thoughts? That makes sense to me. Uh, because planting trees is also something it's not just an individual action. It affects the entire environment. And uh, we need to do what, what bends towards life. And so we do that even in the face of, uh, of loss.
2: Thank you, Gary.
1: Yeah, I was uh, reading last night the paramitas because there was stuff going on um, about them on the listserv. And it's funny that you know your talk kind of points to inclusi- inclusivity, which what Technogon, uh defines as the second half paramita.
0: The third, I think, third. The, it, it's the shanti,
1: yeah okay right yeah yeah what we something. usually
0: translate is as patients
1: yeah i just thought what just thought i'd bring that up and because you talked about yeah.
0: inclusive yes a... and suzuki roshi I'm trying to sort of block inside suzuki roshi also translated uh shanti very similarly to Thich Nhat Hanh. There's not han what there's one online no i see that oh, yes okay. <laughs> um, let me take one from online, which is Ryushin.
3: Thank you, Hosan. I think you've covered a wide, a wide range of uh, aspects that are really important and close is she here? to my heart. Can you hear me?
0: Is she unmuted?
3: Can you hear me? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, this is the same thing that happened to you last night. I think, right? Uh, Somehow you're unmuted, but we can't hear you.
3: People online can hear me, but you can't Can't hear you. So it's the you can hear her. Yeah, the BCC. Wait uh, a second. It
0: may be my fault. Let's try this. Speak again. Let's see if this works.
3: Can you hear me now, Hosan?
0: Ah, yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you.
3: Let there be hearing.
0: let there be sound, let there be light.
3: Chirp, chirp.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, so thank you very much for your talk. I have really appreciated some of the turns that you took with it, which were intimate to, to my experiences. Uh, I loved what Lori said about planting trees because for me, part of that is that is it, it's so important to stay close to what our vow and our intention is in practice. And if we cut that off, if we allow circumstances to cut ourselves off from that, then we really lose our way. So even if the world is going to uh, uh, be annihilated tomorrow, planting trees is an expression of our our hope for life. As you say, It's it's an expression of what matters to us. And along those lines, just I'm throwing out a couple of thoughts for your reflections and comments. Along those lines also, I uh, very much appreciate that hope and faith are very deeply connected. Faith is a, as we all know, kind of a complicated word. And for those of us in this culture, I relate to the idea also of trust and confidence. Trust that arises out of sitting Zazen. And mm-hmm. even those of us who have no idea why we wind up in the Zendo and why it's so meaningful to us at first, we have an experience of something settled that we recognize and we have confidence or trust in that. So the, the I go on. Uh, 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 the Aloda Sutra tends to point at something outside of us for a source of that that faith, but actually, I think ultimately it arises from within, inside of us, and that's where we find our hope in our life is part of this uh, greater uh, working of things. Okay, that's a lot in there thank you. my comment. Yeah. Please, please. I have
0: two thoughts. Um, first, that. Um, My feeling is that this uh, our understanding comes from the interaction of inside and outside, so called inside, so called outside, that still we some mysterious way, we have to bring ourselves to this place and we have to sit down and do this practice. Uh, And there's an inner motivation that has done that that's what we call way seeking mind uh and there's the outer support from the community from the buddhas and bodhisattvas uh, and so I, I see it as a meeting and also just i think you know uh sultan used the word confidence a lot uh, I think more than, he, he, he did from time to time teach about faith, but I think the faith was was rooted in this, this confidence, and the confidence was in the practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I don't see, I don't see any great distinction there, it's just, it's kind of just the way we use language and what we emphasize, but thank you. Um I see let uh Sandeep
4: Hi, can you hear me? We can. Oh okay, I was trying to prepare. I was uh putting my little thoughts together in the chat. Um oh, we'll put your big thoughts together. <laughs> okay, I'll try uh, uh organic. Anyhow, thank you for your talk. I also wanted to thank Gary for mentioning inclusivity because I'm such a visual person. And what came to mind when he said those words was almost like we're all blind spotting for one another in a community. And whenever we do that, we're just kind of helping to hold multiple perspectives and balance and view. And that lets in more light. And a deep part of me kind of gets excited about that, because maybe that light will finally out a deeply buried seed. And who knows like how beautiful that flower will be. Um, and while you were talking also, I envisioned roots going deep, deeper and deeper and sprouting a beautiful yellow plum blossom. Um, so I have hope and a part of me is in gratitude. I was born into the Punjabi Sikh community because I was kind of always brought up with the beauty of community and how it's uplifting and helps us to kind of be upright as we navigate the suffering of this world. And one of the key messages is um, to always be in a state of buoyant optimism. And it almost is like you're riding the wave. You know, it's going to get hard a lot of the time, but you're in it together. It's all the same message and it all takes me home. So thank you for that.
0: Thank you, Cindy. Um, Yeah, that needs no further response on my part, I don't think. Um, Yes, Preston. Um,
1: Thinking about the principle of not knowing and appropriate response. And um, I think it was the Father Romero quote about um, encouraging us to maybe not so much think in terms of what's effective, but rather what's possible. I'm wondering kind of what you make of that. And like, uh, when I think about all these political crises that we're in, on the one hand, I, I see the value in, yeah, not, not knowing what the future holds and, and really seeing the limits of our thinking mind. But then I also see the value of thinking hard about um, what kinds of political action might be strategic
0: or effective, so how do you think about these things? Well, I don't so much think I guess, to some degree, I think that was possible, uh, but I think I put more emphasis on uh, what is beneficial. You know, what is, how do we connect, what do our, act, actually do our activities lead towards connection or do they lead towards division? And that's kind of the criteria, criterion that that I use. and. You know, what I'm in thinking about this talk and thinking about how I've been feeling the, the last few weeks, um, it's not, I don't want to uh, discount the role of thinking because everything is thinking in a certain way. But There's some, it's just, I try to keep my eyes and mind open to some imaginative connecting leap. A leap that will lead towards connection with people rather than division with people. And I think that (laughs) what would be, you know i just would encourage everyone to do that to to keep your minds open to what is going to uh build our our human community or our community of beings uh because when you when once you start thinking about what the what the divisions are uh you can really think yourself into a corner and uh I'm not immune from doing that. But I think that the, the encouragement, and this, is, this is something that the Buddha talks about in the in the Kalama Sutta, in, you know, one of the Pali Suttas, when he talks about, uh, you know, don't take something uh, as truth because I said it or because, you know, some wise person said it, or you read it in a book. Uh, look at does it serve to connect people? And it's like that's kind of, to me, the, the prime directive. Uh, and I think it's very much akin to the, uh, the Bodhisattva vow. Uh, and it's hard because then we have to translate that into, into sort of granular activity. Uh, and the, to me, the, that cycle of Not knowing, bearing witness, an appropriate response, once you come to the appropriate response, then you have to, you just keep going around and you you have to, uh, we have to be constantly adapting our our activities and adjusting them according to what we see, how we see them uh, playing out. Uh, But Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to cultivate, I have faith in the practice and I'm trying to cultivate the hope based on that, even in the face of these uh, forces that feel like they're very weighty. Thank you, Susan. Um,
3: It sounds like, I mean a word that kept coming up during your talk for me is the long view. Mm -hmm. And somehow, to me, the long view is different than hope, because it's not really hope for something. It's, it involves more, um, I don't know, mystery, for lack of a better word, and seems really connected to not knowing. Yeah. And, it, and it seems to, just when you said those three things, that sort of long view helps us circle back and continue in that way. I just wonder what you think of that.
0: Well, I often talk about the long view, you know, and I've had to learn uh i've learned to just to cultivate the long view and uh it's hard because the immediacy of suffering is can can wash us sometimes it can wash us away, and we just don't have access to the long view but it's helpful to take the long view, a long view of of, of our practice, the long view of our community, a long view of our nation. Uh, I think that's really it gets to a place where we're actually uh, we have to reflect on the nature of time. You know, that uh, what's 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 long and what's short are are completely relative to uh to our perception so take the long view is just the way of internally it's really internally shifting one's clock you know the 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 clock that you apply to your days and your life and just uh looking at it in a longer context i i really believe in that thank you
3: yeah it seems like really connected to something Somebody said earlier too about planting trees because when you plant something, you have no idea what's going to happen to it based <laughs> on the conditions that are always changing. But you plant something with that long view.
0: Right. You plant a tree and, you know, it may not bear fruit for seven years. You know, you plant it, there's in that act of planting, there's faith there's faith in the in the natural arising of things. And I think that's, that's part of what I think motivates us to to be here. So last question, Mary Beth. It's just a
3: comment from the chat box. Oh, okay. Uh, It's from Linda Hess. She says the word confidence parses to, con,
1: with, the day's faith. Ah, So. Ah. thank
0: you very much. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Uh, I should have applied my Latin, but Linda did it. It's <laughs> great. Yay. Thank you. So, thank you all. And just, um, oh, yeah. So, Monday morning, we're going to have a Shosan ceremony, which is a sort Dharma inquiry that. Um, no, I hesitate. Is everyone invited to that? it's online. It's online. So it's, <laughs> so it's, it's all online. So you're welcome to come and I will uh, be uh, engaging your questions. Yeah, Helen. It's at 730. Yes, it is at 730. And is there what's happening at six o'clock? There, there'll be Zazen at six o'clock. Okay. Yeah, here. Uh, here, and then we'll be, uh, we'll have the shows on from from 730. And so this is a Dharma question and answer that we usually have in the course of uh, practice period.
3: Hold on, um, I wonder if if maybe uh, might you review
2: the form for people
0: who've never. No, will that'll get done. Yeah, it's you know, uh, it's just bring a question, you know, a succinct question, and also then we're also beginning sesshin on Wednesday uh and uh i think our signups i'm not sure that there's openings but uh you can certainly you can you can come to zazen because the link is going to be open so uh you can make your own schedule if you're not formally doing sushi and of course all the lectures as usual will be open at 10:15. with that i wish you a good day and a good weekend and uh We'll see you soon.
1: Beings are numberless. I have to awaken with them. The delusions are inexhaustible. possible.